today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Well, you pre-trippers are all alike. You just want to escape. I'm like, you don't? <laughs> you want? Yes, I want to escape. Have you read what happens in the seven-year tribulation? You want to be here for this? I don't. We who are alive and remain will be caught up. We will escape suddenly. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Isaiah. Have you really stopped to think about the horrors that are coming upon the earth during the tribulation? It's terrifying. Well, at least for those who will be here. For those that question the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, the judgment coming is one of the very best ways to convince them. Now be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Isaiah chapter 17 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Well, there's a personal application here too. Think this through with me. Doesn't God do that in our lives? The Holy Spirit, (laughs) the mighty wind of the Holy Spirit exposing the landmines that could be so perilous as He guides us in the way that He would have us to go. This is the way, walk ye in it. God does miracles like that in our lives as we navigate our way through the landmines of life. And if you're anything like me, and I suspect that you are, I've got a few landmines <laughs> in front of me. It's like, Lord, I don't know what to do here. I can't go that way because, you know, I, I think about the Israelites after the Exodus. Uh, one of my favorite, along with all my other favorite accounts of a miracle that God does, as only He can when the Israelites flee Egypt after that tenth plague, and they come to the Red Sea. And I mean, it starts there. You know, were there not enough graves in Egypt? God had to bring us out here to kill us. Moses is like, what are we going to do? And here's the Egyptians behind us, and the Red Sea in front of us. Uh, Looks like if I go that way, I'm, I'm, I'm a dead duck, with a capital dead and a capital duck. And if I go forward, I'm a capital dead, capital duck too. And then God says, eh, watch me now. He has Moses take his rod. He parts the Red Sea. The Israelites, <laughs> if I'm one of the Israelites there, I'm thinking to myself, I think we should go this way. You think? <laughs> this like, and they walk on dry ground. And they get to the other side, and then here come the Egyptians who have been held back by a pillar of fire. Oh no, you don't. And it wasn't until the Israelites had made it safely to the other side that the fire ceased, the Egyptians pursued, and then God just closes 
the Red Sea. You would think that would have settled it right there and right then. You would, I, I will never doubt you again, God. You blew the soil and the sand off of all of these landmines miraculously. You parted the Red Sea for me miraculously. You would think I would never doubt again. You know how long it took the Israelites? And hey, don't be too hard on them, because you would have done the same thing. We always shed ourselves in a favorable light, don't we, when we're reading the Old Testament, and we're so quick to say, man, those Israelites, a bunch of complainers and murmurers. Oh, really? Oh, like you wouldn't have been complaining if you were there. You know how many days it took? I counted like three days, and they're already complaining again. After the Red Sea. Are you kidding me? God does this miracle, and God does miracles. He's a God of miracles. He can do anything. Okay, back to our Bible study already in progress, verse 6. How are we doing? Everybody okay? Yet gleaning grapes will be left in it, like the shaking of an olive tree. Two or three olives at the top of the uppermost thicket, four or five in its most fruitful branches, says the Lord God of Israel. In that day, notice the repeated in that day, a man, this is interesting, will look to his maker, and his eyes will have respect for the Holy One of Israel. He will not look to the altars, the work of his hands. He will not respect what his fingers have made, nor the wooden images, nor the incense altars. In that day his strong cities will be as a forsaken forest and an uppermost branch, which they left because of the children of Israel, and there will be desolation. Okay, stay with me on this. Here's another very powerful, and I believe personal, application to us in our lives, because this speaks to the purpose of this prophecy, and more importantly, as it relates to the judgment of the Lord, in turning people to the Lord, back to the Lord. Sometimes this is what it takes. Notice with me that they will not look to their idols, their false gods, their wooden images, those things that they made. They made graven images for themselves and bowed down and worshiped them. No longer will they look to them. Why? Because when it happens, when the judgment comes, those gods are no gods at all. I think about repeatedly and replete throughout the Old Testament, God would command Moses to have Aaron speak to the people. I am the Lord your God that led you out of Egypt, delivered you from Egypt. The emphasis being on, I am the Lord your God. That's not your God. I think about when Moses had seemingly taken too long coming down from Mount Sinai after receiving the law. 
And the Israelites grew very impatient and pressured Aaron, Moses' older brother, and he makes this golden calf. Where do you think he got that idea? He got that from Egypt. They had so many gods. In fact, you know the plagues? Every single one of those plagues was a demonstration of Almighty God against one of Egypt's gods. Some estimate over 3,000 gods. They worshiped the Nile as God. God says, okay, I'm going to turn it to blood. How about that? Get this, they worshiped frogs, not frogs, frogs. And God says, you, you like frogs, do you? Have some frogs. Every single one of those plagues was a smack in the face of these false gods of the Egyptians. And it was God's demonstrating that He is God. He is God. And sometimes it does take that, doesn't it? It takes a plague, it takes adversity, it takes a trial, it takes the heavy hand of the Lord on our lives to get our attention. We're going to see that again here in a moment. Verse 10, because you have forgotten the God of your salvation, this is the reason, and have not been mindful of the rock of your stronghold, therefore you will plant pleasant plants and set out foreign seedlings. In the day you will make your plant to grow, and in the morning you will make your seed to flourish. But the harvest will be a heap of ruins in the day of grief and desperate sorrow. You see where this is going? The lesson here, the takeaway here is that oftentimes God will deem it fit to bring all of our hard work to nothing in order to get our attention. We're going to actually see this in our study. We're going to start in Hebrews on Sunday, Lord willing, chapter 1. And I mean, it doesn't get any better than this. On Thursday nights we're in the book of Isaiah, and on Sunday mornings we're in the book of Hebrews. I mean, come on. The Lord can come back now. <laughs> but we're going to see this. It's, it's very interesting and easily missed at first read. It's kind of like God's blessing on your life heretofore. You've taken it for granted. You've forgotten that it's the Lord your God who has blessed you, the Lord God of your salvation that has prospered you, and you've forgotten Him. You've turned from Him, and here, here He's blessed your life. All God does, He doesn't have to do anything except just remove His hand of blessing. Because see, I am the Lord your God that makes your crops so abundant. I'm the Lord your God that blesses your finances and prospers you. It's, it's me, and all I have to do, because I'm the one holding it all together, this is what we're going to see in Hebrews. He holds everything together, and His hand of blessing 
is on our lives. And as soon as He takes it off, what will ensue is what we read here. And it's also what we read in Haggai chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Stop right there. I think those three words stand alone. We would do well to take heed. Consider your ways. I think of Ecclesiastes 7.14 basically says this, during the days of prosperity and joy, praise the Lord, but when adversity strikes, in the days of adversity, stop and consider that God has allowed one as well as the other so that no man can know his future. In other words, nothing is guaranteed. In the day of prosperity or the day of adversity, our reliance, our dependence has to be upon the Lord and the Lord alone. And so God will sometimes deem it necessary to bring adversity alongside the prosperity, if for no other reason other than to get us to do these three words, consider our ways. I got your attention now. Yes, you do, Lord. Good, because there's something I want to show you. I need to correct you. I need to redirect you. And this is what's happening here with the prophet Haggai, with the Israelites. Verse 6, you have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, and here it is again, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, and bring wood, and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it, and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Um, I think about Malachi. The only time in all of the Bible where God says to test him concerning the tithes and offerings, says, test me in this and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you that will be so abundant you will not have room enough to receive it. Just test me, try me, try see. 
That was not very good. <laughs> Just test me on this. Put me into the test. See what I'll do. And then he also makes this very important uh, uh, statement. He says, I will also keep the devourer away from you. Oh, wait a minute. The, the devourer? You mean there's a devourer? Yeah, I'm holding them back. Yeah, I'm, I'm holding back the devourer, and whatever that devourer is, you can fill in the blank. In other words, I can make the little much, but I so too can make the much become little. Verse 12, woe, which means curse, to the multitude of many people who make a noise like the roar of the seas, and to the rushing of nations that make a rushing like the rushing of mighty waters. The nations will rush like the rushing of many waters, but God, <laughs> I love those two words, will rebuke them, and they will flee far away, and be chased like the chaff of the mountains before the wind, like a rolling thing before the whirlwind. Then, behold, verse 14, at eventide, trouble, and before the morning, he is no more. This is the portion of those who plunder us, and the lot of those who rob us. It's this last verse, among others, but it's another reason why it's believed that the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy concerning Damascus is yet future. This because it seems to indicate that the destruction is sudden, so much so that it's overnight, possibly within a 24-hour period, because in the morning no more. Complete destruction. And this comports with Ezekiel 38, and so too does it comport with 1 Thessalonians 5.3, a verse I know you're very familiar with, where the Apostle Paul writes about this day, this time, at the time of the end. And he says, while they, keyword, are saying, two words, peace and security. Some of your translations render it safety. It's the Greek word asphalia, which means safety or security. Peace and security. While they are saying those two words, sudden destruction comes on them. Again, key word them. You know the thing about sudden destruction? It's sudden. I know, again, very profound. It's going to happen suddenly, unexpectedly, destruction. It's going to happen so fast, while they are saying peace and security. And then the Apostle Paul, true to form like the Savior before him, will use this analogy of a woman in labor, likening it to birth pains which come in greater frequency and greater intensity. And the key again is that they will not escape. That's important. Why? Because, wait for it, <laughs> they 
won't escape? Well, that kind of infers that someone might. Not, not them. They won't escape. But who will escape, pray tell? Ah, so glad you asked. You asked, right? I'm going to tell you. There's a difference between they and we. We escape. Because we who are alive and remain will be caught up in the great escape. I love it when I don't, not necessarily love it. It's it's a sanctified, how do I say it? It's too late. I already blew it. I'm trying to sound pastoral here, but you know when those who take issue with the pre-tribulation rapture doctrine, sound doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture, and they'll say something to the effect of, ah, you pre-tribbers are all alike. You just want to escape. I'm like, you don't? <laughs> you want? Yes, I want to escape. Have you read what happens in the seven-year tribulation? You want to be here for this? I don't. We who are alive and remain will be caught up. We will escape suddenly. How suddenly? Oh, the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians says in the twinkling, not blink, twinkling of an eye. Mathematicians love this verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 51, 52, because the measurement, the calculation of a twinkling, it's like a sparkle in, in the eye, not the blink. I mean, I, I think it's something like one eight hundred jillionth to the whatever billionth power of a second. That's, that's pretty fast. That's pretty sudden. And we put off this alone, right? We put off our, our corruptible bodies. Oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And we get our new glorified bodies. I can't wait. <laughs> I, I already put in my order. How about you? <laughs> I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get hair this time. I know that for all eternity. Enough of my problems. But so we put off corruptible. We put on that quickly incorruptible. We get our glorified bodies in the twinkling of an eye. We who were alive and remain. So here's where I'm going with this in closing. When sudden destruction goes down, we go up. Let me try that again. I'm going to say the same thing in a different way. We escape, right? They don't escape. We escape because we're the we. It's so important. Be a we. Now, when you, hey, what was the Bible study about? Be a we. That was what it was about. Be a we, not a they, because they don't escape. We do. Is it possible? And I believe it is. In fact, I'll even go as far as saying, not only is it possible, I believe it's probable that the rapture of the church will be simultaneous with the sudden destruction that is prophesied in the pages of Holy Writ. And when that sudden destruction comes down on them, we go up with Him. 
We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. If you think that the gospel is only in our first four books of the New Testament, you'll quickly learn through this book of Isaiah that the gospel is mentioned throughout. It must have been interesting for Isaiah to write the things he did in the course of his life. He was a prophet used by God who lived while several kings of Judah reigned. From their outright wicked behavior to a king like Hezekiah, Isaiah experienced the people living in rebellion and then turning toward God, realizing their need for him. God used Isaiah in a mighty way to influence these kings and to speak to them about what was yet to come. God can use you in the place you're at today as well. It may not seem as influential or powerful of a position, but God has you right where he wants you, to use you in the place you are. Are you involved in a local church? If not, we invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m. and Thursdays at 7 p.m. for Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can get directions at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, be sure to check out Pastor J.D.'s additional teachings as well as his Mideast Prophecy Updates, an accurate look at what the Bible has to say about this time in our world. That's all we have for today, but thanks for tuning in to spend this time with us. We hope you'll join Pastor J.D. for our next edition as we learn more valuable things from this interesting book of Isaiah, right here on In Spirit and Truth.